Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. This is the second in a little two-part series, which I'm calling OPP, which means Other People's Podcasts. And in this episode, I'm talking about some of my favourite podcasts, the ones that I like to listen to when I'm out and about doing my business, walking around, taking the metro, on the bus, riding a bicycle around town, um, which is which is a little bit dangerous. You have to watch out if you're listening to a podcast while you're on a bicycle. Don't forget to look both ways and to check that uh, all the cars around you are aware of your presence and that you're not making any sudden left or right turns, which could endanger you. Um, so anyway, these are some of the podcasts that I listen to. And um, in the first part, I went through uh, the first five of my 10 favorite podcasts. Okay. Now you might be thinking, um, but surely I've got I get everything I need as a listener from listening to Luke's English podcast. Why would I want to listen to anything else? And you'd be right, of course, because you know I like to think that you get uh, you know most of your needs in life uh, satisfied by listening to episodes of Luke's English podcast. But if you felt like you know you wanted to broaden your horizons a little bit and listen to something else for a change, then uh, why not consider some of the podcasts that I'm talking about in this episode, all of which are freely available either on iTunes or by subscribing with some other method. Um, All of the podcasts that I'm talking about, um, I have links to them on my webpage for this episode. So all you need to do is just go there and have a little look. You can also see many of the words that I'm saying uh, written down um, here too for your perusal. Um, So I did the first five in the previous episode, and now we're going to count down from five to one of uh, more of my favourite podcasts that I like to listen to and that I'd like to share with you. And we're going to kick off with number five in the list, um, which is The Bugle, okay? The Bugle, which is a UK-based satirical news comedy podcast. The show is presented by stand-up comedians Andy Zaltzman and John Oliver. Andy is based in London, and he's one of the country's top satirical comedians. Um, He specialises in puns, which are word jokes, and often he goes off on a whole series of puns based on a certain topic in episodes of The Bugle. Um, John Oliver is based in the USA, and you might have seen him, in fact, on The Daily Show. He presents The Daily Show sometimes, and also on his show Last Week Tonight. Um, So, um, with Andy in London and John in New York, they tend to focus on the big political news events of the moment, and they generally take the view that many of those world events are ridiculous uh, subjects for humour in a sort of well-informed way, Uh, They especially poke at the hypocrisy of politicians and the questionable acts of world leaders. They also take a pop at smaller events in the news too. Mainly they use politics and news as a starting point 
for comedy. And Andy has quite a surreal take on issues. And John Oliver has a slightly hysterical approach as an Englishman living in one of the craziest countries in the world, uh, the United States of America. I find their podcast hilarious, and it regularly has me laughing out loud on the Paris Metro and then embarrassingly realising that other people are looking at me like I'm some kind of weirdo for just sitting there laughing for no reason. Um, So I really enjoy listening to this podcast, and I'd like to play you a little bit. This is Andy and John talking about uh, the Scottish referendum from one of the recent episodes of The Bugle. Here we go. Top story this week, okay the new or okay the yes. It's the Scottish independence referendum. Well, Andy, after two and a half years of campaigning and centuries upon centuries of tension, uh, it's all led us to this. Scotland today, today, votes on whether or not to leave the United Kingdom and strike out on its own. And Scotland has, to put it frankly, not been as entertaining as this since they started inexplicably throwing tree trunks around. Uh, (laughs) What is the feeling over there, Andy? It must be electric in the air. Well, I love the smell of democracy in the morning, John. It is all kicking off. It's uh, There is genuine excitement, John, about the democratic process, which uh, is frankly something that has put the major shits up Westminster, given that they've been basically exclusively dedicated to preventing democratic excitement happening for at least the last 20 years. And we're just worried about... You know what? Uh, we could see the Queen cry in public for the <laughs> no, first time. No it, can't, no, it can't be done. The Queen crying yeah. in public would be basically a, a minor tremble of the upper lip, and that would, yeah. uh, by that point, Buckingham Palace would just burst into flames. <laughs> uh, you know, you know well, Andy, Joni Mitchell famously sang, Don't it always seem to go? that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And she's still right, Andy, because in Scotland's case, the rest of the UK has a majestic country of spectacular landscapes, as well as the highest rate of heart disease in the whole of Europe. But like any divorce, if the UK were to split, there would clearly be serious problems. There would be the small matter of who gets what in the separation agreement. Scotland would probably take Andy Murray's Wimbledon title back, uh, meaning that we would... I know, I know, Andy. I know, meaning that we would once more be banking on Tim Henman making an incredible (laughs) career comeback. Uh, But in that case, Andy, if it happens, they can frankly kiss goodbye to Tilda Swinton's Oscar. She was born in f***ing London. Andy, Scott, love it or leave it, you f***ing... Oh, God, I'm so emotionally unstable, Andy. It looks like they might actually go. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's got very... Very close to the extent where David Cameron was reduced to fleeing north to Scotland and telling Scotland that it would break his heart if they left, which I think probably could be the decisive swing in favour of independence. I know you shouldn't vote. No question. No question, Andy. It would be worth it to upset him. (laughs) I know. I know when you're voting on a big thing, you shouldn't base it on short term, short term or personal concerns in such a major matter. As this, but when that is offered to you, John, the look on David Cameron's face on Friday morning, tomorrow oh. morning, if Scotland votes to snap off from the rest of the UK, I could fully understand a hundred percent yes vote. It would be just amazing. to see that. Like you say, it's not an ideal way to vote for full independence for your country just to spite another human being. But even <laughs> if the consequences are disastrous, I do think a great grandfather Scottish man in the future could look down at his great-grandson 
as his uh, inferno of a country continues going up in flames and say, I've got to tell you, kid, you should have seen the look on his face. I regret <laughs> nothing. He was so sad. Uh, I've not been over there uh, in the UK for the campaign, Andy, so I've not been subjected to its full force. But it does seem from the outside that the Better Together campaign was incredibly negative. Uh, I saw one photo of some billboards which apparently read, I love my family, so I'm voting no. What kind of (laughs) implication is that exactly? That sounds like the response to a mob threat. Lovely family you got there, all nestled snugly in a 300-year-old economic union of nations. Such a shame if something to happen to all of them. I love my family. I'm voting no. Please don't hurt them. <laughs> that is that was, that was to be honest about as positive as the campaigning got. There was a lot of complacency, I think, because uh, I think most people had assumed it would be a fairly comfortable no vote. And the tone of the early campaigning was basically just to say, well, if it was right for Britain 307 years ago, it is right for Britain now. And there've been some extraordinary adverts. So aside from that, there was uh, a, a long campaign uh, video adverts in which it basically had a woman sitting at a, a table in her kitchen basically saying, I am too silly to vote as a humble woman, therefore I have to vote no. And it was, it was, it was really democracy at its grubby, grubby worst. Uh, it appears there has been something of a shifting in tone uh, now from essentially threatening Scotland that uh, they risked Armaga- economic Armageddon if they left to now essentially desperately appealing to their heartstrings saying that the UK would be irreparably damaged without them. And there were even last minute promises from all three major Westminster leaders. On Tuesday David Cameron, Nick Clegg and Ed Miliband published a vow signed by all of them <laughs> pledging extensive new powers for the Scottish Parliament parties including a promise to, and I quote, share our resources equally. And that, that kind Kind of thing was absolutely not on the cards until Paul suggested that Scotland <laughs> might actually leave. All of which seems a bit like an emotionally abusive husband desperately buying flowers for his wife after finally spotting a packed suitcase of her things in the bedroom. And, <laughs> and it's even coming with even more insults, because apparently the No campaign this week has been distributing leaflets comparing Scotland to North Korea. And at this point, <laughs> at this point, England is just coming off as emotionally unstable. Don't leave, please. I'm nothing without you. Oh, what the hell? If you want to go, go. You don't think I can get Norway to take your place in a second? Oh, I don't mean that. Here's some more parliamentary powers. You know that we're good together. And you know that if you only stop whining, you fat cow. I'm the best thing that's ever happened to you. You'll never make it on your own. The EU don't want you. You're too old and your economy's all wonky. And if you if you try to leave, I'll kill you and I'll kill myself. In that order. No, the other order. Wait, I hate you, you beautiful bitch. Now kiss me again out of here <laughs> <laughs> okay right so that is the uh that's the bugle and uh their podcast is uploaded uh once a week and uh if you want to check it out you can just find them on itunes the bugle or you can go to of course teacherluke.co.uk and find the page for this episode and there it is number five the bugle is a link just click it and you'll be just moments away from subscribing to a new podcast. Right, I love comedy podcasts, as you might have guessed already. I'm a huge fan of comedy. And I think that, I always think, why don't more learners of English engage with comedy? Why don't they listen to stand-up comedians? Because stand-up comedians are a sort of amazing resource of listening 
stuff for you to get into because it's you know one person speaking and they kind of give a monologue on a particular subject or they you know talk about all sorts of different subjects um so you can you get the sense of one person's voice coming through very clearly uh in stand-up you have to be very careful about uh the way that you word things so often messages become very clear and like very easy to understand and also you get the kind of benefit if you're lucky, if you can get them, you get the benefits of, of understanding a few jokes and, in, and having a laugh in the process. So I always think that stand-up comedy is a great thing for l- learners of English to listen to. So, of course, I listen to lots of podcasts uh, by stand-up comedians. And this next one that I'm going to tell you about is number four in my list. And this is The Smartest Man in the World, which is uh, recorded by a comedian called Greg Proops from the USA. Now, Greg Proops is amazing. He's a stand-up comedian, of course he is, uh, with an incredible talent for improvisation. In the 1990s, he became famous for being on a show called Whose Line Is It Anyway, which was a fantastic improvisational comedy show. Um, These descriptions, though, of describing him as an improvisational comedian don't really do him justice, though, because you might just think, oh, another stand-up comedian, great. Well, Greg Proops is also a voraciously intelligent commentator. He's a scathing satirist, a sort of left-leaning libertarian, if such thing is possible, with very little patience uh, with the agenda of most of our world leaders or heads of corporations. He's incredibly well-read, has a fantastic taste uh, in music, and um, he uses a wickedly articulate and broad range of vocabulary. In fact, he wields words rather like a beat poet, And his podcast is an intoxicating mix of improvised comedy, biting satire, beat poetry, ranting and raving about the state of the world, movie-related banter, anecdotes, drug stories, and so many other things. His podcasts are almost always recorded live in front of an audience in various places around the world. Um, I recently saw him recording a podcast in Paris, and it was just amazing to see him there in person, recording an episode of his podcast, responding to questions from the audience, dissecting current events in the newspapers, ranting about the NSA, um, drinking vodka for the whole evening, and generally being awesome, and immaculately dressed uh, in a suit, because he is an immaculately dressed dude. Uh, Greg, for me, as well as being a top-class entertainer, is also a raconteur, and by that I mean that he's a person who tells anecdotes and stories in such a funny and articulate way that he's raised it to the level of kind of performance art. He manages to evoke the spirit of America's greatest writers, in a sense. Um, he's, he's always talking about writers like Faulkner and Bukowski and um, um, Cormac McCarthy, for example, um, and... Um, So he sort of evokes the spirit of a lot of America's greatest authors, actors and poets from some kind of golden age of Hollywood in the 1930s, 1940s or 50s. Um, Greg comes from California and you really get the sense that he's he's really sort of he really holds on to a lot of the history and art artistic history of that area. And it really comes through in his podcast. Um, His podcast is one which you should listen to at night, probably with a glass of something to drink and maybe a pipe or a jazz cigarette or something like that. Uh, Typically, Greg drinks vodka during recordings of his podcast. And yet his mind always stays very clear and incisive. Um, Greg Proops, for me, is a very classy dude, and he's definitely worth listening to. However, you might find him hard to follow 
because he does speak very fast with quite a strong Californian accent and he makes a lot of very specific cultural references that you might not be familiar with and he's also very verbose and I mean he uses lots of very big words so if that is your sort of thing you should definitely check out his podcast Um, I think we're now going to listen to just the beginning of one of his recent episodes and um, one of the things I like a lot about uh, Greg Proops's podcast is the fact that um, he he Every episode has a kind of atmosphere to it because it's being recorded live and there are other people there and it's usually being recorded in a bar or a comedy club or something. So you get an atmosphere of sort of, you know, people are having a good time and and he's having a drink and stuff like that. Uh, So you get caught up in the atmosphere uh, of, of the shows. So I also, I like the beginning of his episodes because he manages to sort of whip up a really interesting atmosphere in the room as the recording begins. So let's listen to uh, one of his recent episodes. We're just going to listen to the beginning. Um, And uh, this was published on the 13th of October. uh, And it's called Reds. You can check out The Smartest Man in the World, uh, the Greg Proops podcast on the iTunes store, just generally on the internet, or of course, teacherloop.co.uk. Find the page for this episode and click the link. Let's let's listen to Greg Proops's recent episode called Reds. This one was recorded in Brooklyn. Here we go. It's uh, Kentucky Derby Day, evidently. Does anyone know who won the Derby? No, that's awesome. I think they just ran it a few minutes ago. Who was it? Who was it? Just one person elect a person. Oh, so it wasn't the favorite. It was the favorite. What was the odds? Do you know? Uh, like five, like five to seven. Yeah, the favorite. What a surprise! You know what? Horse racing is the most legitimate sport in the United States. No way would the favorite win the biggest betting event of the year, so that there would be the lowest payout to the most people. Uh, that's how that works. Um, why do you know so much about gambling? I'm not a gambler. I don't really like gambling. I, I gamble with, uh, like, you know, being a comedian and. <laughs> Attempting to get laughs in different places all around the world when I have very little leg to stand on. I, I try to build a house of straw and then like put steel on top of it. Uh, that's the kind of architect I am. But uh, someone very close to me, let's call him my father. Uh, Big Steve, he, uh, he uh, was a gambler and uh, I spent a lot of time at the racetrack. We didn't ever go to the Kentucky Derby because that would have cost money. But... Uh, we did go to the track a lot, so I know how to lay a bat and a trifecta, and I know how to wheel backwards and forwards. It's not a skill that you should learn when you're a child, and I think that that's the point of that. I was betting at the window, and I was 14 years old, and uh, they didn't ask for ID. That'll give you another idea of what the atmosphere is like at the racetrack. Permissive. Smoking, drinking before I was 18, uh, laying bats when I was 14 and stuff. And there was only two other kids at the school who I used to see at the window whose father was also what we call in the business a a degenerate gambler. Uh, Because that's what gamblers call each other. I don't know what junkies call each other, even though I know some junkies. I don't know if they're like, hey, junkie. Uh, 
or they like call each other smackhead or whatever, or flap smack or smacky doodle or smack my crack or whatever. It would be fun if they did. Potheads just call each other, hey, bro. And uh, so I'm down with that. And drunks just go, what? Feel good. Uh, we don't really have a nickname for each other. We just know that alcohol is going to be involved in shit like that. Thank you for all the lovely gifts everyone brought here tonight. If you're listening or listening, I'm going to use the 18th century uh, S's. George Washington spelled his name W-A-F-H-I-N-G-T-O-N. So I'll be pronouncing all words with an S in them uh, as an F tonight. Uh, I missed two just there. I'm sure you noticed that. But later when I say listening, you're going to understand where I'm coming from uh, in that regard. Uh, Okay, so that was uh, Greg Proops there, sort of managing to just twist little bits of humor out of even saying a word wrong and then kind of making it funny there. He's amazing. And that episode is an hour and 43 minutes long. I mean, that's a super long episode. And he kind of keeps it up all the way through. It's incredible, the the sort of uh, veracity of his mind. He's able to just sort of just just talk in an incredibly engaging way. I understand, though, that you might have found that, I don't know, not to your liking, uh, perhaps because you felt it was, well, first of all, sort of too fast and too difficult to really keep up with him, fine. But, you know, if you want to challenge yourself, you could try listening to that more often. Or maybe you just feel like it was so American, you know, especially in comparison to Luke's English podcast. Um, uh, his show uh, is like super super american but still i you know when i first started listening to his podcast i i felt it a little bit difficult to get in to it um and i felt almost like i was an outsider and that i wasn't really part of the club but as you listen to it more you learn more about sort of typical things that greg does or talks about typical subjects that come up and then you start to feel like you're part of the club and you start to enjoy all the little jokes and stylistic things that happen. It's great, and I really enjoy it. You can find a link to it uh, on um, on my website, teacherluke.co.uk. You know what to do. Okay, we're going to move on to number three now uh, in my sort of top ten list of favourite podcasts. And this one is an absolute classic. Um, I'm talking now about the Ricky Gervais podcast. Um, this was really the first big podcast on the internet. Um, when it was regularly being uploaded, it was, I think, the most downloaded podcast in the world at one point. I think Ricky Gervais managed to get into the Guinness Book of World Records for having the podcast with the most downloads in the world. Obviously, now it's uh, it's Luke's English podcast, isn't it? Of course it is. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, when it was being uploaded, um, it was huge, this podcast. And it came out probably about 10 years ago. And I think it's, it is still available on iTunes and other places. But you now actually have to purchase the, the archives on iTunes. So you have to pay, um, you know, just a few pounds or a few euros or whatever um, in order to download uh, the archives of this podcast from the iTunes store or I think maybe audible.com um, just for a couple of pounds or something per season. It's not a lot of money and it's definitely worth it. Um, I used to listen to this podcast back in my kitchen in Ealing in West London while I was doing my cooking and it used to make me laugh out loud every time. Um, the, the Ricky Gervais podcast is not really recorded anymore but this is still a classic podcast in my opinion. The setup um, for this podcast is really simple. It's, um, it's just Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant, 
and Carl Pilkington just talking about stuff. Ricky and Steve are well-known comedians and writers. Uh, They won awards for their show, The Office, which is probably the most famous thing that they've ever done. And they're generally considered to be top-level comic talent. Uh, Carl Pilkington, on the other hand, is just a bloke. He's just a really ordinary, average, working-class bloke from Manchester. He's not He's not very well educated. He's not a sophisticated guy. But he is perhaps one of the funniest people that I've ever heard. But the thing is, he's not really trying to be funny. He, he just seems to be quite serious most of the time. And yet the things that he says are just brilliantly straightforward and simple-minded, while also being incredibly funny. It's like seeing into the mind of an idiot. But it's, it's more than that, because Carl often has such a simple view on things that he's quite hard to argue with, even though many of the things he says are completely ridiculous. Um, His common sense might be a bit ill-informed, but it does have an undeniable sense of simple logic about it. Often he's completely wrong about things, but you can understand why he has those views. He's slightly obsessed by certain topics, like stories of monkeys acting like humans, or insects, which, he, which he's discovered in his daily life, or stories of tribes in remote parts of the world. Um, generally, what happens is that Ricky and Steve start talking about something, and then they ask Carl what he thinks, and then Carl gives his view, and it provokes hysterical responses from Ricky and Steve, who then sort of berate him for being an idiot with a, a, a perfectly round head while arguing with his stupid ideas. It sounds a little bit cruel, like almost like they're bullying him, but really this is just the way that male friends in England talk to each other. Uh, we often sort of take the piss out of each other and argue, uh, but really we're very close friends. It's typical for you know English guys to, to do that. You know They make fun of each other, and it seems a bit cruel, but actually they're, they're really good friends really good friends. Um, You can see that the relationship between these three is actually very close and that Ricky and Steve really love Carl, but they're also amazed by his thought processes. Um, Carl used to be just a technician or or a producer on Ricky's radio show, but because of the podcast, he's now become a successful uh, sort of travel writer and TV presenter in his own right. So we're now just going to listen to the the beginning of the very first episode of the Ricky Gervais show. This is the this is the first episode that um, was ever broadcast, and we're just going to listen to the opening part where we we hear Ricky and Steve introducing themselves, and then they introduce Carl, and we start to hear some of Carl's slightly uh, ridiculous views on science and progress and things like that. So let me just find it, and then I'll play it for you. Okay, found it. Let's listen to it. You're listening to Ricky Gervais with me, Stephen Merchant and Carl Pilkington. Now, you uh, probably know me from such works as The Office and Extras. Uh, uh, Stephen being my um, co-writer and co-director on those things. For those people who are not so aware of Carl Pilkington, um, he was our producer, sort of given to us when we first started on uh, XFM. Um, and uh, you're thinking, well. Why are we doing a podcast? Why are we doing a podcast for, for, for no money? Is um, there no money? There's, no. 
It's free, isn't it? It's free download. But this, this is the, this, yeah, this is what I'm here to answer. Mm. It's because I like to be in a room with Carl Pilkington. Mm. You know, like some people go and help sort of chimps. <laughs> Do they? Yeah. Well, some they people, go to the, the, you know, the, yeah, the, the jungles about, and things. And yeah. help out little sort of endangered Dian species. Dian Fossey or whatever. Exactly, You're yeah. very much the Dian Fossey of the, of the, 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 the Manchester of, scene. Of <laughs> the, of the, uh, little bald mank world. <laughs> and Carl Pilkington is, is an ongoing experiment for me, because I've seen him blossom from an idiot into an imbecile. <laughs> and yeah. I want, I want to see it through. Look at the way he's looking at us through the glass. Mm. Look at that. He's got a perfectly round head. Um, and that's why I'm doing this, um, podcast, or bodcast, as I'm gonna call it in, um, his honour. Little round-headed bod-type freak. If you're not familiar with bod, we can maybe put up a picture of bod, the popular cartoon kids character. Go to rickygervais.com and you'll see a picture of Carl and a picture of bod. And you draw your own conclusions as to the likeness. Carl, what do you think about all this? That's all right. Are you excited by this new technology? What? Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's just, I mean, we are living in that sort of era now, aren't we? Like, you need to, yeah, to listen to stuff on demand when you want it and stuff. I yeah. know, you, you're you not a fan of the iPod in general, are you? Or any of the MP3 things, you're concerned. Uh, it's, I'm warming to it. But this is what's amazing about Carl. Even though he's talking about things like MP3 players, computers, uh, iPods, he sounds like he's he was found in a glacier and, and thawed out. <laughs> yeah, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's sort of taught to yeah. speak. We're, we're a couple of high school guys who <laughs> found him, and we're, taking, we're trying to ingratiate him in the uh, in the gang, trying <laughs> yeah. to pass him off as someone from the modern day. No, oh, no. no. But, but my thing with with iPods is now, do we need them? Do you know what I mean? We're, we're living in that era now where we have invented most of the stuff that we need. <laughs> and now we're just messing about. They said that in 1900. Someone actually said everything that's to be invented has already been invented. They what? said that in 1900. And how wrong were they? No, but what, what came out, what, at what point, what was invented in that year where they went, right, that's it now? What, what did they invent in 1900 that, that made them go, we've, we've done it all now? Well, just think, think a little bit, right? The 20th century. Think what happened in the 20th century. Go on. Well, cars, planes. Yeah, but is that a good thing? Planes and that. Do you need to? Do you need a plane really? Wouldn't it have been better if we all stuck where we should be instead of travelling about? War. Why? War. Well, look, wars, wars happening, isn't it? Because everyone's saying, well, now we can fly. We'll go over there. And so I, there were no that. wars prior to the invention of the aeroplane. Not like, not like there is today. Right. But what I'm saying is. The more, the, the world's got smaller on it, everyone's saying that, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the way I was saying to you the other day, uh, you know, we, we now go to places where we shouldn't go. People go on holiday to places where you've got to have an injection before you go there. Yeah. Forget it then. That, <laughs> yeah. that, that's a warning. Don't well, go there. I'm with you on that. I, I, I don't want to enter a country where I have to have an injection to stop me from dying while I'm in that country. Right, I totally agree with you on that. So what yeah. happened is, so they invented the plane and it's like, oh, let's go on holiday, and then they go, oh, I die now. Oh, well, you've got to invent something, let's invent an injection. And then it's like, right, well, what, what else do we need to go to that place? There's a lot of faffing. <laughs> 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 so what I'm saying is, I'm, is that I'm, a place? A lot of faffing. What what I'm saying is, you know, Steve's travelled more than I have. You've been to like dangerous places. I've been to places where you need injections. Yep. Yeah. yeah, but why? Because it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, don't you not believe in that idea of uh, travel broadens the mind? You know, well, it makes you experience other ways of life, other ways of thinking. It just enriches you as a human being. That's the whole reason people go travelling. Well, since the invention of the telly, you don't have to go that far to see. You're absolutely it. right. So there, there you go then. 
The telly was the twentieth century, wasn't it? Yeah, it's pretty good. So where Some would you, stuff. where would you stop then? You'd stop making stuff now? Stop inventing stuff right now? Or do you well, think we could carry on for another five years, see what comes up, and then just draw a line under it all? Well, again, but, uh, we, we're just messing about, and but I- But there's still things to do, isn't there? I mean, I, I know, I could throw things up, you could always go, oh, answer great, but, you know, a cure for cancer, a cure for AIDS. Yeah, but, d should we, should we mess with that? What do you mean? Because there's too, there's too many people in the world as it is, isn't there? So, that's a way of controlling it, so that, you know, like, look at London, right? It's overpopulated. The rent keeps going up because there's more and more people surviving, right? If you let them die, it's going to even itself out. See, I was saying to someone the other day about maybe we should look at, if we're going to invent something, right, forget, like, the traditional way of people having kids, right? The way they, you know, have it away in that. You know, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? No, you know, like, the, the way that, you know, we, we have kids and stuff. If it'd be good if what happened was to, to control it is if man and woman, right, they sort of, they're born and that, they enjoy their life, they learn a lot, they live to be about 78, I think, by that point. <laughs> so specific! Yeah, no, 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 yeah. but seven, by 78, I reckon you've sort of got to that point where you go, do you know what, I've done everything I'm gonna do. If you haven't bungee jumped by the time you're 78, you're not gonna do it. No. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like- Your hips have come off. You've, you've done it all now, so I've had, I've had my innings. Yeah. And then you die, right? So, say if everyone had that, they lived to be 78. Mm. But then, just as you die... They give you the bumps. You get- <laughs> you have a little baby inside you, and as you die, your life carries on. Sorry, how is this you, happening? Sorry, are you mental? No, no, but don't you think- I mean, what- I've never heard such drivel. You say- you're saying that, but if- if- if Newton said it, you'd go, hmm, interesting. <laughs> that's- that's what annoys me. <laughs> I know he did, Carl, he never would. But He'd what? never say it, that's the point. But I, if I, you I never say it, if you never I say it- I don't understand what you're talking about there. What- <laughs> how, how- how was it- how is there a little baby in a 78-year-old? No, what I'm saying is it's like an apple, where- <laughs> The apple grows and it's got its little baby pips in it, and and the apple goes and the seeds are planted and a new one's born. But what that's what happens. But that is what reproduction is. Yeah, but I'm saying babies aren't being born left, right, and centre. It's 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 controlled, so that as someone dies, someone's born. But Carl, stop. H whose responsibility is Look, this? If you don't want to do but it, we won't do it. But is I'm it just supposed to be nature? Has nature got to to develop <laughs> humans so that we act that way? We we live that <laughs> way, or is like, this a scientific experiment? Why, like he said, he said to you then. He said, Look, if you don't want to do it, we don't need to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like if you were up for it, <laughs> yeah. we're sorted out. Yeah. We can. Do All right. So, uh, wow, that's just an example of Carl's immediately right in the beginning of the whole series. Carl giving his views on progress and saying that the progress isn't necessary. And then this weird theory about how we could change the reproductive system of people so that we could control the um, population of, of, of London so that the rent doesn't go up too high. And the idea is that uh, instead of like having babies like we do now, that instead that when whenever someone dies, then uh, somehow uh, a baby is regenerated. Very ridiculous view. Um, <laughs> and just funny to hear uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's responses uh, to all of that. Um, so that was the very first episode of the Ricky Gervais podcast. Uh, if you want to find more of those episodes, then you can find them, as I've said, on iTunes. Or guess what? Guess where else you can go to find a link? I think you know what I'm talking about there. Right, let's move on to number two. Um, and we're nearly at the end of my list of 10 of my favourite podcasts that I listen to in my free time. And this one is called uh, WTF with Mark Maron. And WTF, of course, refers 
to it means what the fuck okay so this podcast is called what the fuck with mark Marin, and it's another american podcast this one i think i've got three american podcasts in my list i've got um what was it star talk radio um and then greg proops and now what the fuck with mark Marin. so surprise surprise ladies and gentlemen mark Marin is a stand-up comedian um his podcast called what the fuck is one of the biggest podcasts on the internet um i think this probably a few podcasts that are absolutely huge like this american life stuff you should know what the fuck with mark Marin, the joe rogan experience and a few others um so um this podcast is, as I said, one of the biggest podcasts on the internet. Basically, the show is hosted by Mark Marin in his own garage. Um, Mark is a sort of washed-up comedian with all kinds of personal issues, neuroses, addictions, and psychological hang-ups. Um, he originally started his podcast, I think about six years ago, when his career was on the rocks. At that time, his marriage had ended in divorce, he was recovering from drug and alcohol addictions, and his antisocial behaviour and neurotic attitude had caused his career to nosedive, to some extent, into the ground. Um, His friends, including people like Louis C.K., were finally achieving the success that they'd been working for, but Mark was broke, uh, paranoid, and on his own. And then, at that point, he decided to start his podcast, with the aim of trying to work out what the fuck was wrong with him and what the fuck was going on in his life and in the world, okay? He's remarkably open, very sincere and frank on the podcast, talking in great detail about his personal feelings and problems. Sometimes it feels like he's complaining and moaning in a very self-indulgent way, but I have to admit that it's one of the most engaging podcasts I listen to. It's really raw Uh, real and gripping and I find that I learn all kinds of things about the the human condition from listening to this podcast. No other interview show or podcast in my opinion goes so deep into the feelings, motivations and choices of its guests. Um, In each episode he talks about his life for about 15 minutes usually including difficult choices, damaged relationships or just anecdotes about social situations he's found himself in. Now he kind of makes a bit of a it's kind of his thing really to be neurotic and uh, to struggle through personal relationships and stuff but as a stand-up comedian with many many years of experience he manages to make his anecdotes uh, very funny and he's very vulnerable and it kind of it's a very interesting listening experience um, so after talking about himself for 15 minutes he then usually invites a guest onto the show uh, usually a comedian actor or musician um And then he talks to them about their whole career, dealing with their whole life story, really. Um, And the thing is that Mark is an excellent interviewer. He might be a neurotic person on his own, but when he's interviewing, he's really brilliant. And he has a particular talent for engaging with his guests in a very open and honest way. Um, His interviews are really revealing, and he really gets under the skin of his guests brilliantly. Uh, Sometimes he's so close to the bone that the interviews can be quite uncomfortable and awkward, even confrontational, as Mark attempts to challenge his guests to explain themselves and answer their critics and so on. Um, The result is a really fascinating listening experience, which can be amusing, revealing and, and even touching. It's also particularly inspiring for me because Mark has actually rebuilt his career 
on the back of the success of his podcast. In fact, the podcast has completely revived him as a stand-up comedian. And now he has his own TV show, he has successful books published, and he regularly sells out theatres for his one-man comedy performances. And it just proves to me that podcasts are a really valuable and valid form of media communication, and they're just as valid as traditional forms like radio or television. In fact, they could even be more valid because it's an unrivaled immediate access or immediate connection between the creator... Uh, the content creator and the um, and the audience listening to them. So um, it, Mark's podcast really just brings it home to me that podcasting is a, a really significant thing in the modern world and a very significant form of media communication. Right, so we're now going to listen to... Um, I think we're going to listen to part of episode 500. Uh, Mark's been doing the podcast for quite a long time now, and he reached the 500 mark recently. And it was quite a sort of, um, well, it was like even more personal than normal, really, because it being the 500th episode, you know, he reflected on uh, what had happened to him so far and, uh, you know, reasons why uh, his podcast has been so important for him. So let's listen to part of episode 500. Hey, it's Mark. Welcome to the 500th episode of WTF. Where's the theme song? What's happening? Well, I wanted to do something different. I can't, I can't talk and play at the same time, so this is really difficult. But I wanted to do something different. Because I've heard that theme song about 500 times now. And I love that theme song. I love our opening music. It's a great composition. I didn't play on it. And I'm not saying it's not, it's going away. It's not going away. But I thought for the 500th episode of WTF, I should I should do something. I should do something different. I should try something. Right. And one thing that I've never done, I don't think. What haven't you done, Mark? I've never done this. Let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckaholics? What the fuckaristas? What the fuckleberry thins? What the fuck rakers? And of course, uh, what, what the fuck minster fullers? What the fuckanucks? What the fuckanavians? What the fuckaricans? All of you guys. All of you. Oh my god. It is the 500th episode of WTF. And I, I know I changed the tone at the beginning. Because I wanted to change the tone at the beginning. This is going to be a very personal show. It's going to be a personal celebration. And uh, not so much a look back, but a, a look at the present. 500 episodes. And I, I couldn't be more grateful for all of you people who listen to me. I couldn't be more grateful for what's happened in my life. But problems remain. But I have changed. I think if we look back, if we look at the record... I'm a different man than I was when I started. Many of you have grown up with me over the last five years, 2009, five years. Really? God damn. Is that true? It's been about five years, almost five years. Is that possible? So a lot of you have been here since the beginning and some of you just coming in now or whenever you came in or it, even if you don't listen to this part of it, 
I hope have, have, have registered a change in my disposition. Now, this show, I, I know a lot of you were thinking, like, who's it going to be? Who's going to be on the 500th? Who's going to be the big guests? What are we going to hear? But after all was said and done, we realized, my partner, Brendan McDonald, and myself, Brendan, who has worked with me for years since I first started doing radio when I was a, not a child, but I certainly didn't know how to do radio. He's now a full-time producer of WTF. And we started talking about it and we thought, well, why don't, why don't we just talk about where we're at now? Where we, where are we at with the show at 500 episodes? I mean, it's an amazing thing that we, I have no idea that I would do 500 episodes of anything, let alone something that seems so important to, to me and to other people. It's very overwhelming to me that, that this is, that this is all happening, that my life has changed so dramatically throughout the course of this show. That's something that, that I did out of desperation in my garage, uh, changed my life entirely. I now have a television show, which is something I never thought I would have. I, and my standup has become more relevant. I think that, you know, we changed, uh, not, not single handedly, obviously, but, you know, my timing was right for once in my life and, and the medium of podcasting has now become, uh, you know, viable and, and, and popular and, and, and a lot of people are doing it. I think that the tone of, of honesty and, and, and seeking authenticity in expression, uh, is culturally relevant now. I, I'm not responsible for it, but it, but it seems that again, you know, perhaps my cosmic timing was right and, and things were, were ready for change. The struggle I have is that what, what is the risk? What is the risk? I mean, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. You all know that I've had a problem with my father because of, uh, of, because of my television show, because of things I've said in the book. Many relationships have been strained and, and broken, uh, because of, of what I do with my, my, my form of expression, whether it's on stage or whether it's here uh, in the garage or whether it's, uh, in writing. And I don't know that many people do what I do, or perhaps they don't do it quite the way that I do it. And I'm not saying that necessarily is a good thing. I've had discussions with like David Sedaris about the nature of, of using your family or using people in your life. Maybe I'm not as, uh, I can't do it as non-toxic as he can, but, but it is difficult. And that's my biggest fear is that is the price that I pay for being the type of person I am and doing it my way or this way, am I ultimately going to end up alone? Am I going to frighten away, you know, every woman who, uh, who's possibly going to want to spend their life with me because they don't want to be talked about? Then do I have to censor myself? It gets a little tricky. I, I don't know how frightened I'll become of, of speaking frankly about my relationships with people, but I try to do it in a general way, but it still gets me into trouble. Does this sound like a celebration? Look. It is. But this is where I'm at now. I've got a heavy heart. I've got a heavy heart about things I've said publicly. I've got a heavy heart about the strain that, that my honesty and, and, and the, the nature of how I express myself has, uh, has affected people. But do you keep going on? Of course. Of course you do. Is it worth you know, being alone ultimately? Will I be? I don't know. But the other elements of this 500th show that I want to share with you is that, you know, it's celebrating the idea that you can do something on your own, that you can, you know, evolve as a person, that you can build a business out of nothing. I'm not a businessman. I don't know how Brendan and I put this together. I don't know how ultimately I, I, I've grown to be able to make somewhat of a living out of my garage. Many of you know the story, the, the desperate beginnings of WTF and, and, you know, where I was at. But there was a moment where I realized 
that not only was the show going to be great and not only was was it going to work and was the work worth it, but that I wasn't alone in the world that I, I think that many of you know that when I started the show, I needed a lot of help. I needed help emotionally. I had, I'd gone out to sea. I'd become cynical and, and depressed and, uh, and, and completely in my mind, uh, irrelevant. I was in some sort of show business Siberia. And there was this moment I had early on with, uh, with Bob Odenkirk. And many of you know him from, uh, from Mr. Show with Bob and Dave, but I'd known Bob a long time and I'd always been envious of him and I'd always thought that he was one of those guys that had his shit together and that he he never had any of the stresses that that would uh, derail him career wise and this was a fairly common thread throughout the the early WTFs is, is my deep resentment and my deep need to to sort of humble myself or to at least get some you know emotional traction in the world so I would talk to people I knew and it was hard with Bob because I I do have a great deal of respect for him and uh, and I always thought that his ambition and his focus and his creativity was just something I didn't possess and that he didn't live with the same problems I live with. But there was a moment during that show that was sort of the portal to what WTF became and to what I became as a human being. It, it all sort of hinges a bit on Bob Odenkirk. You know? All right. So you get the idea. Intensely personal stuff. I mean, that's particularly a personal one. Uh, episode 500. Uh, normally, it really gets going when he talks to a guest and you get the impression that he's like really focusing on engaging with the story that the stories that that guest has to tell. And it's, it's really good. All right. So there you go. That's Mark Maron's podcast. Um, and uh, finally, now we move on to uh, my favorite podcast. This is number one in my list, my top 10 list of uh, favorite podcasts that I like to listen to. And this one is called Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo's Film Review, and it's produced by the BBC. Um, so it's a it's a British podcast. And uh, Mark and Simon, well, Simon Mayo has a, a radio show on uh, BBC Five Live um, every Friday. Um, and um, it, I, no, actually, I think he has it every day. But on Fridays, uh, he's joined in the studio by Mark Kermode, who is a film critic. Okay, and so they they do like about two hours or so of uh, radio broadcast, including you know um, film movie reviews and conversations and interviews about films, um, and then it's turned into a podcast and uh, published that evening. So this is my favourite podcast, and it's the one that I've been listening to for the longest time. Um, I first started downloading this podcast back in two thousand and six, but I've been listening to. Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo talk about films on BBC Radio uh, for many years. Uh, Mark used to be the film reviewer on BBC Radio 1 in the 1990s. And Simon has been on the radio for even longer than that. So um, I feel like I've kind of grown up with these two to a certain extent. There are several great things about this podcast. One of them is the interplay between Simon and Mark. Uh, Mark Kermode is a very well-respected and highly qualified film critic. He's an academic. He's written books and made documentaries about films. And he really knows what he's talking about. He's particularly interested in certain kinds of movies. He loves, for example, horror films. Now, you might think horror films are brainless and stupid. Well, 
not all of them. In fact, some horror films are actually very intelligent, very clever films. And Mark is a bit of an expert on this area. His favourite film, the film that he often talks about, is The Exorcist. And he's got lots of very interesting things to say about that film. Uh, he wrote a book about it too, which is quite interesting. But um, he, he's, um, he, he really knows what he's talking about. He can be a little bit pretentious and annoying, but really we love him because he has his strong beliefs and a genuine passion for films. And also, he's just amusing. He's a bit pretentious, but he he knows that he is. And sometimes he plays on that idea and uh, turns it into quite a sort of funny persona, really. Um, In fact, uh, Mark's principles, which are sort of left-wing are what guide his approach to movie reviews. Um, He tends to passionately rant about the films he loves and hates, speaking very quickly, using all kinds of imagery, uh, stubbornly arguing against big-budget, brainless Hollywood films like Transformers or Sex in the City. He tends to wave his arms around in the air when he's speaking. He's very animated. And one of the jokes, one of the running jokes, is that he's got very big hands, for example. Um, And so he's quite an amusing presence, and he's he's a very articulate speaker and a very sharp-minded guy. He often gets very angry and worked up about the films he's reviewing, going on and on in a very amusing way about exactly what is so awful about certain films he's seen. Um, Simon, on the other hand, is like the calm voice of the ordinary man. He's a reasonable guy who doesn't get so hysterical about films, and this provides a really great counterpoint to Mark's obsessional approach to his film reviews. Mark gets angry and Simon stays calm. Uh, Mark passionately hates a film. Simon then says that he actually quite enjoyed it. And then Mark nearly explodes. They argue, they bicker, and they regularly just witter on about nothing in particular. In fact, this is a podcast about films, but it's not really just a podcast about films. It's really about everything. Uh, But the subject of movies is what holds the show together. Mark and Simon complement each other perfectly. They have slightly different worldviews, but they have a lot of things in common. Uh, Their age, the fact that they have families and so on. And although they argue and pick on each other, they clearly have a lot of affection for each other too. Um, And ultimately, this is a heartwarming listening experience, which also teaches you lots of things about movies. It's perfectly safe. It's normally broadcast on the radio during the day, so there are no swear words or anything like that. It's all kind of clean, family-friendly stuff. Um, Highlights for me when listening to this podcast are all the running jokes jokes that have been going for many, many episodes that they refer back to, things that have happened on the podcast before that they kind of remember and and refer to. Um, The emails from listeners, every episode contains a number of emails, and the listeners contribute in their own ways because often the emails are very, very well written with very witty statements in there. And then, of course, Mark's epic rants about films he hates. What is a a rant, you might be thinking, because I think you may have heard me say that a couple of times in this podcast already. A rant is when someone goes off on a passionate monologue, usually an angry monologue, um, about a subject. So it could be, you know, typically comedians do rants. You know, you might rant about, uh, what would you what would you rant on about? Um, oh, I don't know. For example, you might have a rant about the fact that 
Um, why, why is it that I always lose my socks? I put two socks in the washing machine. When I take all the clothes out, I've just got one sock left. Where are these socks going? You know, that kind of angry approach to dealing with a subject. Uh, often it's a, a subject that you're passionate about. For example, Mark Kermode likes to rant about terrible films. Um, so that's a rant. Um, and he's famous for his rants. In fact, um, there's an adjective to describe his rants, and it's a, a Kermodian rant. Kermodian uh, obviously comes from the name Kermode. That's his name. So a Kermodian rant is usually a long, passionate sort of diatribe against uh, some terrible Hollywood load of nonsense that he's seen recently. Uh, The podcast is available on the BBC website and it's uploaded every week. You can also get it on iTunes and other stuff. And I highly recommend it. But this is just my own personal choice. Um, It's one of the most popular podcasts in the UK. Um, It's recorded while they do their radio show and then edited and uploaded immediately after the show is broadcast. Um, Personally, I I think it's great and wonderful. I love listening to it. Um, If you do give it a try, then I hope that you stick with it because it it starts to reward you. The more you listen to episodes, the more you get a flavour of... The more you get an understanding of the specific things they're talking about and little jokes that they make regularly. Um, So stick with it. Give it a good shot. I think we're now going to listen to one of Mark Kermode's epic rants. So you're not going to hear Mark and Simon interacting very much, but um, you will hear Mark um, delivering perhaps his most famous one of his most famous rants. He he's ranted famously about uh, Transformers. He absolutely hates that movie franchise. In fact, any movie made by uh, the director of Transformers. Oh my God! I can't remember his. I can't remember his name. Suddenly, who was it who did Transformers? Michael Bay. That's right. Any Michael Bay film usually gets the full Kermode treatment because he's. Can't stand Michael Bay films. Also, Sex in the City 2 famously was sort of destroyed by Mark Kermode in his review. But in this one, we're going to listen to Mark ranting about Pirates of the Caribbean 3 at World's End. So, um, Mark didn't like the the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Simon quite liked the first one. But I have to agree with Mark uh, in his judgment of this particular film because... Um, the first two Pirates films I thought were quite good, particularly the first one. The third one, though, was clearly just an excuse to make money, and they were very, very lazy when they wrote the film. In fact, I believe they started production of Pirates of the Caribbean 3 before they had a finished script. So it's clear that they didn't really spend a lot of time making the film good. It was just a chance to cash in on the huge success of the previous two films. And for Mark, I think it represents many of the, the worst things about Hollywood movie making. Um, this particular episode is slightly different because normally they're in a studio and the sound quality is like perfect. In this one, I think Mark is um, in Cannes in France at the Cannes Film Festival. And Simon, I think, is at um, a sporting event, maybe Wimbledon or a, a racetrack or golf, a golf match or something like that. Um, so you do hear a bit of like atmospheric noise, some, some um, sort of ambient sounds and things like that. Normally it's in a studio. But anyway, let's now listen listen to uh, Simon Mayo uh, and Mark Kermode talking about Pirates of the Caribbean 3. By the way, Simon at the beginning of this uh, refers to it as a vodcast, uh, not a podcast, because in this particular occasion, they were also being videoed and it was released onto YouTube as a a vodcast, which is a video podcast. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Let's listen to Simon and Mark dealing with the subjects of Pirates of the Caribbean 3. 
Hello and welcome to our second vodcast. This is Simon Mayo and I'm at Wentworth for the PGA Golf. Mark is in Cannes for the film festival, which you know he loves so much. So I'm here, he's there, bit of split-screen fun. And as you know, there's a big rant coming up because this week saw the release of Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Hold on to your hats. Simon Mayo at Wentworth, Mark Kermode in Cannes. This from James King's Palace of Earthly Delights. Alex Neve in East Dulwich says, Having just seen the third instalment of this nauseating franchise, I can safely assure the listening public that there is not a single element that suggests to me that we won't be getting a full-on Kermodian-style rant of the century. Put away your eye patches, give up your rum bottles, turn your radios up to 11, it's going to be an absolute screamer. Mark, what did you think of the new Pirates movie? Well, I think it's important to say that one has to go into these things with an open mind. Oh, yeah, okay? right. No, I know. But look, okay. So, I mean, historically, the first Pirates movie was absolute bilge. Wrong. And ended up... No, it was. It was rubbish. And, I, and, and it ended up taking like a billion dollars worldwide, which was really, really terrifying. The second one was kind of worse because it was longer and it was a holding pattern because it went on for like, like 150 minutes and nothing happened. I mean, a bunch of stuff happened, but nothing actually happened. Just a bunch of stuff happened. And then when it came out on DVD, and I said to everybody, you know, you should boycott this movie. If this stuff does well, it's your own fault. Then it came out on DVD and I was told this terrifying fact that it was the fastest selling DVD of all time. Somebody, it may even have been you, said that on the day that it was released, one in five DVDs that were sold was Pirates of the Caribbean 2. So, we get, I have to go to Nice firstly, so I go to Nice to see, you know, in the in version original, and I'm really heartened because I get into the cinema, there's only four other people in the cinema, it's a two o'clock screening, okay, admittedly, it's an English screening in France, but there's quite a lot of English-speaking people in France, it was largely Americans in the four, so you sit down, okay, think, okay, we're here for 168 minutes. Film starts off with a hanging sequence, a sequence in which a whole bunch of people, are, you know, including underage persons, but, but probably the most misjudged opening of any allegedly family-friendly movie I've seen in a long time. You're sitting there thinking, this is, uh, they've, they've totally lost the plot. They've decided to go dark for the, you know, for the third Pirates movie. What on earth are they playing at? This is not something that needs to go dark. This is something that needs to lighten up a little. This is something that actually needs, you know, to be entertaining. But no, we have this really long, really sort of drawn out, really completely out of place. Uh, hanging sequence at the beginning and the BBFC guidelines, I looked it up, says contains moderate horror and action adventure violence. We said contains, you know, completely inappropriate darkness at the beginning that is absolutely out of kilter with the rest of the film and has no right being there. Fine. So, we get through that. Then, after the opening sequence, the plot or more precisely, the plots start. And if you remember any of the plot threads that were at the end of Pirates of the Caribbean 2, it's like, oh, well, somebody's got to go off and find a heart, somebody's got to find an island, somebody's got to get a treasure map, somebody's got to get a compass, somebody's got to sing a song, somebody's got to stand on their head and turn around 38 times. That, or Blundo Land has got to go and find his dad for some reason that's not clear to anybody, but other than the fact that Stellan Skarsgård is clearly picking up the check and he's a great actor, so I'm happy that he's employed. So, it starts, and it goes on a little bit, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm really dreading the moment that Johnny Depp's going to come on and do that Keith Richards impression that we all know wasn't funny the first time, and really wasn't funny the second time and here we go he's going to do it the third time and then the movie plods along with you know Keira Knightley and Orlando Bland and all the rest of it all happening and no Johnny Depp it's 35 minutes before Johnny Depp actually arrives on the screen and I'm starting to think this is really clever because what they've done is they've realised that Johnny Depp is so terrible in the film that they're withholding him they're withholding him because actually everything else in the film is going to do better without him but no 35 minutes in Johnny Depp turns up but not just one Johnny Depp 10 Johnny Depps turn up at the beginning and there's a there's a, 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 a brilliant line in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy which is referring to uh, Arthur Dent meeting up with uh, uh, 
Hoojima flip, the Martin Freeman character, and he says he's one of those people that you couldn't see him for, for months at a time, and then as soon as you saw him, he was immediately annoying. And Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean 3 is exactly, but he's immediately annoying squared. He's immediately annoying to the power of 10, because there are 10 of him. And there's a little bit of business about, oh, Johnny Depp's dead, but he's in the underworld. All this stuff seems to exist purely to show off the fact they've got a special effect that can turn a stone into a crab. Great, brilliant, marvellous, not enough to hang a feature film on, but hey, well done to the special effects guys. Then they escape from the, the underworld that he got into at the end of the last movie, because I think Kira killed him, but I can't, can't quite remember. There was something to do with a kraken. And then they all get together and they say, okay, off we go on the various plot strands again. And it's business as usual. There's, a, there's actually one line this when somebody says, one person has the ninth piece of eight, which is just about as coherent as any form of plot synopsis gets. On the, uh, on the IMDb trivia page, it says, the most amazing thing about Pirates 3 is that they started filming without a completed script. No, they finished filming without a completed script. So they just ended up with like a montage of bits, a whole bunch of special effects, a little bit of him doing that, a little bit of the, everyone else, and they just stuck them together in any order, and they didn't cut any of it out, just said, there's 168 minutes, shove it out into the, into, into the cinema, and everyone will buy it, because everyone has clearly had some kind of terrible, you know, uh, joint lobotomy, so that nobody any longer has the guts to stand up and say, this is absolutely terrible, and what are we doing here? Actually, we should walk out of the cinema and go next door where they're showing Zodiac. However, Johnny Depp leads to the problems. Let's start with Keira Knightley, because clearly Kira Knightley's agent has been speaking to the scriptwriters and saying look it's fabulous we're really pleased that Kira's back in the movie again obviously wonderful the thing is up until now she has really been window dressing and what we really think is that Kira needs to sort of expand her role and why don't why don't you make Kira a pirate because I think really she could do pirates so through the most ridiculous contrived uh, you know plot device Kira Knightley actually ends up being king of all pirates in all the world ever so Kira Knightley king of the pirates this means that Kira Knightley has to do two things first she has to do the pirate ah, you know, ha 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 ha. But of course, when Kira Knightley does it, it's like, like yeah, yeah, hello, ha 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 ha. Then she has to do a rabble rousing speech, which is basically like that speech that Mel Gibson does in Braveheart about, you know, they can take our lives, but they can never take her freedom. Only when Kira Knightley does that speech, it basically sounds like the head girl addressing a convention of fifth formers on prize giving day at the end of term. So, Kira, disastrous, given more to do, messes it up terribly. And then we have the magisterial talent of Orlando Bland. Now, there is all always been a problem with Orlando, which is that very early on, the script had a relationship between the Kira Knightley character and the Orlando Bland character. Nobody at that point realised that the minute you got Orlando Bland on screen, nobody would care what happened to him. He's so wet, he's so drippy, he's so completely ineffectual, nobody cares about him. So in the second one, there was this sort of attempt to make the Kira Knightley character somehow interested in the Johnny Depp character, because everybody else in the audience, other than me, was interested in the Johnny Depp character and kind of didn't care what happened to Orlando Bland. So this time, we have to, you know, we have to, we have to take Orlando Bland, take some kind of interest in him. Now he's acting this love interest against Kira Knightley. Now Kira Knightley's acting has always been wooden. But this time, it is like a petrified forest of woodenness. I mean, you really feel like you could build a very nice piece of Ikea furniture out of her performance. It's that bad. And when she and uh, Orlando Bland are on screen together, it's like watching two chairs mating. I mean, there's a scene in which they have the kiss, and it's literally, what is that? Is that a nest of tables? No! It's Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley having sort of some red-hot, passionate embrace that, 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 that is, you know, is positively tiki. I mean, you feel like you need to get out of the varnish and varnish it. So that, so. So two central characters. Now I'm going I'm to give away a plot point. Now, if you're going to sit through Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, and never was a film more accurately named, turn your ears away from the radio now, because there is a moment towards the end of this film in which it is contrived to have Kira Knightley can get married to Orlando Bloom, but she can only see him for one day in every ten years. I'm sorry. 
If somebody made me that offer, I'd take it right now. If somebody said to me, if I marry Orlando Bloom, you won't have to see him again for another 10 years. And when you do it, so do you take this man? Yes, absolutely. I will take him right now. If I only have to see him one day every 10 years, sign me up. Because I don't think I can stand another moment of sitting there in the cinema watching this dribblesome bore, you know, waltz around like somebody out of a milk tray advert. I mean, what? how on earth has he become the prominent actor that he has? I mean, he killed Kingdom of Heaven stone dead. And in this, he's actually got worse than before. And then we have the mighty Johnny Depp performance. So Johnny Depp started off doing this performance as basically Keith Richards. Although, actually, he wasn't really doing Keith Richards, as far as I can tell. He seemed to be doing David Barry around the period of The Laughing Gnome. Everyone says, oh, it's a great impression of Keith Richards. But it did sound like David Bowie, hello, I'm the Pirate King, Jack Sparrow. That's not Keith, Keith Richards, that's David Bowie. But the big gag with Pirates of the Caribbean 3 is, guess what? Keith Richards is actually going to turn up. So you sit there and you fall asleep and you wake up and you fall asleep and you stretch your back a little bit and you feel most of your lower body starting to go numb. And then about two hours of the way through, Keith Richards turns up. And here's how it goes. Keith Richards goes, hey, and Johnny Depp goes, hey, and Keith Richards goes, hey, if you thought Johnny Depp was bad at being Keith Richards, you should see Keith Richards trying to be Keith Richards. I mean, there was a ripple of sort of appreciation in the audience, which, as far as I could tell, was entirely for the fact that Keith Richards was still alive at all. But he's even worse at doing an on-screen Keith Richards than Johnny Depp is. And between them, this sort of, you know, in incredible in-joke about, oh, it's so funny, up until now I've been doing Keith Richards, now here he actually is. It's like, no, no, all of you, all the Rolling Stones, don't care, go away. I mean, you know, I never want to see the Rolling Stones. I don't want to ever see another Pirates of the Caribbean movie, despite the fact that at the end of this, there is a door left open for there to be another one. The whole thing goes on forever. I added this up, right? First movie, 142 minutes. Second movie, 150 minutes. This, 168 minutes. I make that the best part of eight hours of my life. Stanley Kubrick went from the beginning of civilization to, you know, the dawn of a new uh, breed of human being in just over two hours. This has taken them eight hours to get from point A to point A. It's enough. It has to stop now. And really, if you go, you know, if you pay money to go and see Pirates of the Caribbean, it's your own fault, and you're bringing down the collapse of Western civilization. And I, I had it uh, feeling in my waters that actually Gore Verbinski was going to pull it out of the bag and do something that would make me have to say I'm wrong. But you know what? I'm so, I am so right. It is so bad. I haven't been on for 15 minutes. I've been to the 17th tee and I checked on the leaderboard. Uh, let me know when you're done. You asked, I'm done. Okay, that was Mark's epic. Commodian rant about uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 3. And the thing that I find with Mark is that sometimes I don't agree with him. I mean, he's very persuasive and very articulate in his arguments. But there, and, and I just love the sort of uh, uh, passionate uh, approach that he has with his reviews. But sometimes I just think he's wrong. Um, what was he What was he saying? He said something about... Uh, well, I, I enjoyed the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. He thought it was terrible. But I had to agree with him on this one. It was rubbish. Um, okay, so there you go. There are 10 of my favourite podcasts that I like to listen to. Uh, maybe you could just uh, pick one or two or all of them, have a little listen, see what you think. Maybe you can add uh, a few more listening resources to your iPod or MP3 player, your phone, or whatever uh, piece of technology you choose to use to download episodes of, well, let's face it, your favourite podcast in the world. I'm talking, of course about Luke's English Podcast. Thanks very much again for listening. Um, don't forget to visit teacherluke.co.uk, of course. Um, if you haven't already done so, then subscribe to the mailing list. You'll see a but You'll see like a place where you can enter your email address on the website on the right-hand side. It says subscribe by email. 
add your name on the uh, add your email address to the mailing list you'll get um, an email every time I update something on the pod uh, on the website whenever I upload a new post you'll get an email notification um, sometimes I, I put posts on the page that um, are not in the podcast RSS feed. So if you're subscribed via iTunes, for example, you get uh, you automatically get all of the episodes. But there's content that I put on the website, uh, which you know you might not know about. So why not head over to teacherluke.co.uk and check it out because there's there's all sorts of other stuff available there for you to, to look at, including uh, discussion forums. Um, and there's a rather healthy forum conversation going on um, in uh, in the discussion forum section about uh, Skype a Skype group. I think I mentioned it in the last episode. Uh, a bunch of uh, lepers, uh, listeners to Luke's English podcast, have got together on Skype. They've shared their details and they're using it as a chance to just practice uh, their speaking. So that's quite a nice idea, isn't it? Head over to teacherluke.co.uk, discussion forums. And I think it's called Luke's Podcast Skype Conversation. And you can just um, share your Skype details and get talking, get speaking, get practicing with your fellow learners of English all around the world. Uh, That's it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed sharing some of my favourite stuff with you. Um, Have a lovely day, a lovely evening, a lovely lunchtime, a lovely morning, uh, a lovely uh, sort of early morning, whatever. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope that you're enjoying it. And I hope that this episode of Luke's English Podcast has enriched your life. That's it for me. Speak to you again soon. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.